The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Derek Van Ryper here with Michael Beller. It is Friday, August 21st, and today we are joined by Fred Zinke of Rotowire and Yahoo Sports. Fred is one of the best players in the industry, one of the nicest people in an industry full of nice people as well. Uh, he's won several Tout Wars titles. Uh, I think we've finished 1-2 in the league a few times over the years, so we've had a few pretty good battles in the years we've played in that league together. Uh, and we're going to talk about what could be another busy week of fab and the art of trading, which is something that I think Fred does probably as well as anybody in the business. Fred, how's it going for you on this Friday? I'm great. And uh, yeah, I haven't been trading a lot yet this year, but it's such a short season. It's a weird season for that. But but I do enjoy a good trade from time to time. It seemed like this was the <laughs> week where everybody got the bug. We started talking about it on our Wednesday episode under the radar and I saw a whole bunch of trades, keeper leagues, non-keeper leagues, where there was a flurry of moves just in the last 72 hours. I got in a keeper league yesterday, and I think people are realizing we're almost halfway through the shortened season. Reality is setting in a little bit, and you know things could change pretty quickly because nothing's as locked in as it ordinarily would be at a midway point in a season. But a lot of the same principles apply, so we'll talk about some of those uh, as we move through this episode. But I think one thing that got us really thinking about today's episode was something you tweeted yesterday. It's not necessarily fab again, but this Sunday is going to be very interesting with another wave of prospects called up. You know, there's Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize available in a lot of leagues where they weren't held. Joey Bart has been called up. Sixto Sanchez has been called up. Dane Dunning came up and debuted earlier this week, kind of got overshadowed by Mize pitching in the same game. Uh, Isaac Paredes and Maybe even the resurgence of Craig Kimbrell in the closer role for the Cubs. So a little bit of everything, another wave of young players. Who are you prioritizing and, and how aggressive are you going to be in leagues where you still have a decent amount of fab left? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would prioritize Bart, but Bart, I think, is just a unique. I think catchers are such a unique case. Like you either need a catcher or you don't. Right. Like I have some two catcher leagues where say my catchers are Yasmani Grandal and, and Christian Vasquez. Well, I don't really need Bart in those leagues. So, you know, I may make like a keep him honest bid, but I may not even bother. It's like like Bart should go. Don't you guys agree? Bart should go for a lot. But they, but only maybe four or five teams, say, in a 12 or a 15 team league should bid on him. Yeah, it's kind of strange, right? Like, I don't know, at least 10 percent of a full fab budget, if not more, because. He has power. He's going to hit in the heart of the order. I mean, like, Beller, if you were estimating what you were going to bid in a two-catcher league especially, in a one-catcher league, he might still be kind of borderline. If we're talking like a 10-team league, is he a top-10 catcher the rest of the way? Maybe there's a debate there, but he's definitely a guy that should be picked up in all two-catcher formats. But what's the number, Beller? I think it is right in that 10% spot. I feel like there are people who are more needy for catchers than they would have thought they were. And I can just give you one personal example. What happened to Omar Narvaez this season, 
right? I mean, he's totally fallen off the map. He's not playing every single day. I had him in one league, and I thought, all right, I'm not going to be one of these suckers who is stuck looking for a catcher all season, and now I can't wait to get my hands on Joey Bart this coming weekend. So it feels as though there are people who are going to be more in the mix. I mean, if you just look at the top of the catcher list, and this is going to happen every single year, but just you know, standard 5x5, five five, I'm actually looking at a league that uses OBP and plays a batting average, but still generally the same thing. JT Real Muto, no surprise. Pedro Severino, 2. Martin Maldonado, 3. Wilson Contreras, 4. No surprise. Francisco Cervelli, 5. Travis Darno 6. Right? I mean, there are people who probably feel like they need a catcher. So I think what you said, Fred, is totally right. There may only be four or five people in a league that are bidding on him, but those four or five people really need him. So if that is you, I think you have to go at least 10, 12, maybe even 15% to get him. And if that is me, I'm comfortable doing it. I, I could see going even to 20%. I'll give you a, a, an easy one is the, the person who drafted Mitch Garver. I mean, you spent a lot yeah. on Mitch Garver. Like I was seeing him in the first 10 rounds of most drafts or say around round 10. Uh, you were expecting a difference making catcher. Bart could be the guy who helps the Garver owners to get out from under him, you know, where, you know, you've lost him. I don't know when he'll be back. I don't know if he'll hit when he comes back, but you could, could potentially get a top 10 catcher here with Bart. Um, you know, you went in kind of a roundabout way. You had to waste some fab doing it, but it kind of could undo that Garver mistake. So I think anyone who has Garver and still has some fab left, I could see going even to 20%. You know, I, I keep wondering too, as I look at leaderboards, like, I think we're just seeing variants. We're just seeing 20-game mm-hmm. sample variants where mm-hmm. everything is completely upside down because I, I don't look at the slow start from Mitch Garver and say, if he were healthy, I wouldn't look at him and say, oh, I, I can't possibly see him bouncing back. I think this is just nothing more than a slow start that's amplified by the fact there's just less time to offset it and make up for it. So it's hard to not get sucked in given the importance of every single game. And I kind of wonder beyond this season – how are people going to change their evaluations and their projections and their opinions of players based on what happens over the course of 60 games? I mean, less than half of a full season is all we're going to get from guys who play every day, and most guys don't even play every day, so that makes this whole issue uh, even worse. But thinking about these other prospects that came up, mostly pitchers, how do you start to prioritize these guys? In a league where you have a shot at Scooble and Mize and Sixto and Dunning, are the Tigers' prospects a cut above the rest, or do you actually see these guys being more comparable in value the rest of the way? I don't know. Personally, I think maybe Mize is a cut above uh, the rest. Beyond Mize, I think they're all just you know dice rolls and just see what you come up with. I would be probably willing to bid more on Mize, and then uh, if I didn't get him, I might just kind of price and force on the others and take uh, you know, whoever comes my way. I felt a little bit like that when we did the the Fab of Palooza week or whatever last year. You know, um, I wanted Keston here in a lot of leagues, so I bid more on him. With the other ones, I kind of threw in a competitive bid on the rest. Like, I think with the rest of those pitchers, like, I feel like I'd want to bid 5 7% of my budget, maybe, my like my initial budget on them, and just just take take what it gives me. Unfortunately, what's going to happen is, because Scooble pitched poorly, he's going to be cheap. If, if Sanchez pitches poorly this weekend, he'll be cheap. If he pitches well, he'll be expensive. So do you steer into that or do you not? That's the tough call, I think. 
And then you had Dunning, of course, pitching pretty well, even though the the end of uh, game line didn't look as good as he pitched because he gave up a few runs. Men get sent down. Uh, Nicky Delmonico brought back to the White Sox. So uh, definitely a very interesting uh, look at those starting pitching prospects. Let's just really quick on Craig Kimbrell. Uh, he has looked very good over his last three, four outings here. Got a save. Should be said it was the second game of a doubleheader. Rowan Wick pitched in the first game and was unavailable for game two, but still has looked very good. Is there any speculative bid to throw in, even knowing that Rowan Wick probably is still the favorite for saves with the Cubs? I, I, Derek, I'm interested to hear your thoughts first because I am the ultimate Craig Kimbrell apologist. So <laughs> I, I think I think the listeners deserve a more balanced opinion before I give mine. I thought there was going to be a bounce back from Kimbrell this year because we were talking about 20 innings last year, a bizarre start to the year because he signed late. The track record was so good for so long. The velo is still pretty much intact. Like it, it all, it all pointed to a bounce back, and he just kind of picked up right where he left off to begin the season. And I think that made me a Kimbrel skeptic after being a little more of a Kimbrel apologist. So I'm kind of caught in the middle here. I, I, I don't feel like I can go all in with a big bid. There are plenty of leagues where I only have one closer right now. I think you can do a lot worse than putting a medium bid in on K- Craig Kimbrel because the Cubs have a lot of reasons, like tens of millions of reasons to try and get him back into that role and to get him right. So I think I'm bidding on him this weekend, even though I could see it still blowing up on me. I mean, most of the closers who are getting opportunities are far from sure things. You know, like I'm just kind of staying away from the Rocky situation, even though Daniel Bard's pitched really well and he's a great story. Uh, I missed out on Taylor Williams. I did didn't see the skills bump coming from him. Having watched him a bit with the Brewers, I just didn't see him getting up over uh, 30% with his K rate and kind of stabilizing the Seattle bullpen. Other than the Rafael Montero, I haven't really seen a closer come through where I've said, yeah, those skills look legitimately good like closer skills. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not referring to Ryan Presley or Drew Pomeranz. Those guys were owned in a lot of the leagues I play in already. So I think just because of what we're normally looking at from potential sources of saves, that gives me enough to go ahead and, and kind of take a one more chance on Craig Kimbrell and really just see if we can get lucky and have him hold the job for the rest of the year. But without that contract, I probably wouldn't be throwing more than near min bids on a guy like that. Yeah, I I think you, I, I, you kind of hit where I'm coming from with the tens of millions of reasons. Um, you know, I think the Cubs would like nothing better than for Kimbrell to get most of their September saves and Wick and Jeffress are a setup duo seventh and eighth inning everything slots in you know I, I Craig Kimbrell is someone who was on a hall of fame path you know through his 20s and that's hard to do as a reliever like he was legitimately you know historically good um and like and you said the velocity is still there something was just not working you know in his first few innings they kind of shut him down had him throw on the side didn't use him much in games he's been fine since he came back you know three strikeouts uh, in that save. Um, uh, it's risky. Like the upside of Kimbrel, the rest of the way is lots of strikeouts and all of the Cubs or most of the Cubs saves. The downside is like a gas can and it's just terrible. And he's right back on waivers in two weeks. And this time it's for good. But I think it's easily worth the risk. Um, you know, when you're comparing him to players like Trevor Williams or sorry, Taylor Williams, uh, I was going to mention Trevor Rosenthal, who's been a really effective waiver wire ad, but he could be on another team in, in 10 days. Um, Kimbrel's not going anywhere and, and, and the Cubs are a really good team so I think the upside with Kimbrel with the strikeout rate and the quality of his team and the contract is tremendous and therefore worth bidding on you know if he's fallen to waivers 
obviously like for from fantasy managers the leash has to be really short like another three walk outing and you just you can't use him but i could see him coming around and and being really good the rest of the way all right, Fred, let's get to the trade talk here. Uh, not only is it really getting to be trade season in fantasy baseball, it's getting to be trade season in Major League Baseball as well. We are 10 days away from this August 31st trade deadline. Let's start uh, this this discussion by looking at it from the MLB side of things. Who are players? You just mentioned Trevor Rosenthal as one. Guys who we could see realistically being moved in the next week and a half. Yeah, I, I put it on Twitter yesterday. I could see J.D. Martinez being moved. I don't know if, if you guys are on board with that thought as well, but, uh, you know, you've got someone, I think he's 32. Um, you know, he's kind of my one of my number ones. Like, the, the Red Sox are, I know the Red Sox have the money to rebuild quickly. At the same time, like, he could help accelerate that rebuild, um, you know, by moving him right now. I thought I think he's a really good candidate to be moved. I was just talking uh, on uh, with Jeff Erickson the other day. I can't find a lot of pitching. Uh, it's just in such short supply unless the Indians are willing to move off Mike Clevenger because they do have offensive needs. Like, do you guys think there's a chance that Clevenger could be traded here in the next 10 days? I think there is a chance. I, I wonder if Plesak's more likely to get traded. He wouldn't bring mm-hmm. back nearly as much, but I mm-hmm. feel like if, you, if you're Chris Antonetti, if you're running Cleveland right now and you're looking at this roster and you see Plesak driving through traffic with his not-apology video... <laughs> Like, that's just the extra little nudge that you need. You're like, this guy just doesn't get it. And our clubhouse is kind of divided. He's talented. Somebody else will give him a second chance. Obviously, there's there's value there. There's a, there's a good pitcher there. He didn't commit some kind of violent crime or something. So acquiring him isn't going to be some some major PR storm. And, you know, the, all, the, all the things that would ordinarily, like, bring negativity, this isn't that. This is very different. So... I could see at least one of those guys getting moved because they have pretty good pitching depth. I mean, they're bringing up Tristan McKenzie. He's part of the the pickup wave this week, and maybe he's more of a reliever long-term, but they also have Logan Allen there. Um, so they've got pretty good depth, even without at least one of those guys. As far as J.D. Martinez goes, I think the question is, do we expect the universal DH to stay beyond this season? Because the AL teams that would make that move would almost certainly have to have the floating DH right now. And I kind of looked through the depth charts. I didn't see an obvious fit in the AL. I saw better fits actually in the NL. I actually saw the Brewers as a good fit for J.D. Martinez because they're hurting right now in the outfield. You know, Ryan Braun's contract comes off the books at the end of the season. J.D.'s got two years left on his deal at basically the same rate that Braun gets right now. So money-wise, that actually kind of works. They need a shot in the arm offensively because they just haven't been able to hit consistently. So I could see that being the sort of move that makes sense, but you have to do that knowing that you're still going to have the DH beyond this season. I'll, I'll give you, I'll tie the whole thing together. If the Red Sox picked up a, picked up a bunch of money, is there a Red Sox Indians trade where the Red Sox get pitching and the Indians, the Indians need to jumpstart that offense and the Indians get JD Martinez. And then, you know, can, can use them in that DH spot next. They know they'll have the DH spot next season, but I wondered if there's some sort of package of, you know, where either Clevenger please that goes toward towards the Red Sox, Red Sox give JD Martinez and pro, a prospect for Clevenger, something like that. But I could see that even being traded because the Red Sox really need, 
they have other hitting pieces. They need to jump. That pitching staff is like, holy moly, like <laughs> memorably abysmal, I would say is a good way to describe it. And uh, so I could even see something like that. I'm sitting in, I'll be honest, in tout NL. I'm sitting with the fab hammer. I need JD Martinez or someone <laughs> of his ilk or Mike Clevenger. I need one of these guys coming over to the NL in the, in the next week and a half here. I'm, that's all I'm checking my Twitter feed for these days. It's so I frustrating love- in a mono league not having a wave of prospects coming up late in the year to spend twelve yes. and fifteen dollars on because you're right. If you don't get to use the hammer on a big player, it's just for naught. What were you gonna say, Bell or yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, all good. I love that JDM Cleveland idea. I, 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 it feels like a one that's more workable in a normal season or in the off season than in this shortened quick season i just wonder if they'd be able to get together on a deal like that i mean that's a that's a huge deal whether it's clevenger or plesak it's a huge deal for these two teams to agree to i wonder if the urgency necessarily is there for them but that would definitely be um, a fun one to bring and one that it's a logical one too and i do think that i mean don't we think that the universal dh has to be something that sticks around like if i'm an nl team and jd martinez is a realistic possibility I would be comfortable betting on the Universal DH sticking around and making a move for him. I was talking with our Cardinals beat writer Mark Saxon before the season started, and he made the point to me that you know while there are teams in the National League who can you know sort of benefit from adding the DH this season, and there were a few the Dodgers, the Reds who were clear beneficiaries of it. Other teams had guys who sure they could plug in and would maybe gain a little bit more than the other teams. Few teams in the NL were built to have a difference maker in that DH spot this season. J.D. Martinez is a difference maker in the DH spot, and you could get that for at least the next two years. If I'm an NL team, if I'm running an NL team, I'm comfortable betting that the DH is here to stay and trying to make a move for a guy like J.D.M. Fred, I want to look at some other guys that could be on the move, because I think you're right. I think generally it's going to be more bats than arms. There's just the bad teams in the league right now. They don't have soon-to-be free agent starters that other teams are going to be excited about. I mean, is Johnny Cueto a difference maker for a contender? Probably not. If rotation depth is a major issue, maybe he's a four or a five on a contending team at this point. But he's even a guy that you wouldn't necessarily want to have starting in a playoff series at this point. At least you wouldn't have a lot of confidence in starting him there. Uh, but as far as like mid-tier sorts of position players, who else kind of stands out to you as possible players who will be on the move? Yeah, I mean, I mean, just I just was reading a John Paul Morosi tweet today that uh, maybe David Fletcher from the Angels that maybe the Angels would look to move uh, some pieces. You know, you start looking at teams that are out of the race that could maybe part with someone, maybe someone like Fletcher. Uh, I wonder, going back to the arms for just a second, I wondered if someone like Kansas City would move someone like Brad Keller, who's, you know, who is fantasy viable right now. I don't know if he is permanently, but. I mean, Keller is someone who in fantasy has got a bit of a cap ceiling because of the low strikeout rate. He's not a high upside pitcher. He is pitching. He's what well, he's made three starts this year and hasn't given up a run. Um, you know, I mean, is he really going to shape Kansas City, the Kansas City Royal future? No, not really. So, uh, so, but he could help a contending team. There's, uh, gosh, he would help the Braves a lot right now, wouldn't he? Just being able to get five or six innings every fifth game uh, from Brad Keller. I wondered if Josh Bell could move. Uh, you know, because I think the Pirates, I think this Pirates rebuild is looking really deep. I don't know if Josh Bell is going to be around on the Pirates roster when they get good again. I think his trade value by the time they're good again, when he's nearing the end of his club Mm -hmm. control, is going to be so low that they're going to kick themselves for not doing something sooner. Mm -hmm. I think 
he at least can play first base too, so you, you have that added boost as well. So I could see a guy like him getting moved. That's a that is a really bad team right now. I mean, if you look for <laughs> veterans who could move, like a few years ago, I would have thought Gregory Polanco would have been an exciting trade piece around now, but he just doesn't look like the same guy we expect him to be. They're another team where even their best pitcher in the bullpen, Keone Kella, comes with all sorts of baggage, which is going to keep him probably from most contending teams' radar. So. Yeah, I, I just don't see anyone else to get excited about on that roster right now. Maybe Adam Frazier as a utility guy, but that's very much like the David Fletcher scenario. So I'm wondering, are we going to be underwhelmed by the trade deadline this year? Is it going to be less activity than usual, in part because 16 teams make the playoffs and because the obvious sellers really don't have a whole lot to trade away that's going to make clear-cut playoff teams a lot better? I think 100% overwhelmed. What do you, what do you think, Beller? Yeah, just I mean, this season is set up to be uh, one in which the the trade deadlines just doesn't live up to the excitement that we want to see. I would expect there to be a, a decent amount of talk, but only a few fringe moves. It's just hard. It's hard to commit yourself to a big move in this season. It's hard to commit your ownership to a big move in this season. I think it's going to be uh, a lot of talk, but not a whole lot of movement, at least in terms of those players who can really make a splash on either end of a deal. Interest rates have hit record lows, which means it's a great time to refinance your student loans and see if you can lower your monthly payment. If you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you could reduce your payment and save by refinancing with earnest. Even if you've refinanced before, with today's low-rate environment, most people could save by refinancing again. Checking your new rate is fast and easy. To start, complete a few questions online. It only takes two minutes, and you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. Want to change your monthly payment, combine many loans into one easy payment, or get a better rate? Earnest makes it easy. Plus, there's no origination fee or any other fees. And the internet loves Earnest customer service. They're rated 9.4 out of 10 on Trustpilot. And now you can get $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with Earnest.com slash fantasy. Once again, you get $100 cash bonus when you refi your student loan at Earnest.com slash fantasy. Not available in all states. Visit earnest.com slash fantasy for more details. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Fred. So the MLB trade deadline could shape up to be a bust, but I do think we're going to see a lot more trading in the fantasy community over the next 10 days or so since we're nearing that midway point in the season. As I mentioned up top, I think one of the things that makes you a great fantasy player is your ability to get trades done. You've written several pieces over the years breaking down your process. I know you've talked about it on some of the shows that you've been on over the years as well. I think one of the first questions I have for you is a player-specific question. Who are you targeting right now? Are there certain players, either because of slow starts or other factors that you're absolutely going after in your leagues right now? Uh, I would would say not really specific. There's not really specific players. This is a really, I'm finding this year tricky for trades because, okay, Let's say normally we were a month in, so we're end of April. The standard trade advice would be go after some of those slow starters, the classic buy low, sell high thing. You know, go after good players who are off to slow starts and pick them up at a discount. And, you know, eventually they're going to smooth things out and they're going to turn it around. Now, like, are they are they going to turn it around? <laughs> like, are they going to turn it around in the next month? Or is there time for them to turn it around? Um, could they lose playing time before they turn it around? So I'm struggling to, to decide... You know, in, in some ways, I think it probably depends where you are in the standings. Like, I think if you're mid-tier in the standings, go after the slow starters and then and and just hope that they turn it around. I mean, if you're winning your league, it's kind of hard 
to take on someone who's hitting a buck 80, right? And and just say, oh, they'll just turn around starting next week. Like I can't, I can't handle that buck 80 for three more weeks this season. In a regular season, I would just handle that. So I think it, I, I think if you're mid-tier in your standings, go ahead and buy low. Like if Mitch Garver wasn't injured, I would say there's your, there's your, uh, your type of target. Um, buy low on a Mitch Garver. Uh, if if you're winning your league, I think maybe you ha- might have to get a little more conservative that way and say you just can't afford to to make that type of aggressive move. The other thing is I've always said, you know, through a regular season, um, be willing to unbalance your roster. So, you know, be willing to trade one of your only two closers if it's a great deal for you and, and just go with one closer for a while and you'll figure it out down the road. This year isn't really a year where you have time to figure it out down the road. Like I can't, I can't handle that. So, and I've done, but I've done that in a lot of leagues, trade my only base dealer and, you know, because I love the value in the trade and I'll figure out steals later. I don't have time really this year to figure out steals later. So I think we have to treat this more like a traditional you know, it's a short season. We have to treat it more like a traditional late August type trading where we're looking to make moves for that. We're looking at categories. Normally a month into the season that we would tell fantasy managers, the last thing to do is look at categories, just get value, get value, get value right now. I, unfortunately I have to look at categories because I only have, what are there five weeks left after this? Like I have to look at categories. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a bizarre season that we find ourselves mm-hmm. in, and I like the uh, I like the the idea of swinging for the fences if you are in the mid tier or in the bottom of your standings. At this point, that's really the only thing you can hope to do to get back into the mix. On the flip side of this discussion, is there anyone who comes to mind that you are looking to trade away? Totally comfortable trading away? Anyone on the other side of the discussion? Yeah, well, I think without getting into maybe an exact name, but exact names, I think anyone who's just way over their skis, like, like if you're the Charlie Blackman owner, uh, go ahead, like, like, like (laughs) treat him away. Like, like I, like I know his batting average isn't going to, it's not going to stay as high as it was, but uh, you know, it's, it's the hardest thing in fantasy baseball is to trade away someone who's, you know, just playing amazing. You know, they're obvious. How about this? Could the Fernando Tatis owner, and I am that person in a couple leagues. Could could uh, in labor and tout like could you move him if you could get a king's ransom? Like would you move him? I mean, you say, well, no, there's no way I'm moving to Tease. Well, what if you could get Max Scherzer and more, for example, from him from someone who's just just got to pump up their offensive numbers and is willing to take a chance on him? Like like I think it that's the hardest type of move, but moving the guys who just have unsustainable production to this point in the season. I I think Tatis could go number one overall next year. Mm -hmm. He's still not going to play the rest of the way like he has so far. Right. He's probably the number one overall player and keeper in dynasty already. If he, Mm -hmm. if he hasn't become Mm -hmm. number one in redraft, but you probably have captured the best part of his season already. Like you're not going to find a stretch of games better than what he's done so far, even if he continues to play at a very high level. So that Scherzer plus scenario, it could absolutely make sense if you are off to a start like in in Roto Leagues where you've got a bit of an edge in all of those counting stats on the hitting side and you're feeling good about your power speed even without Tatis. This is an opportunity to get a lot more than you could have got for Tatis back on draft day. So I do think as difficult as that is, that's definitely good timing. Thinking about this more like a typical late season fantasy trade deadline, the schedule seems very important. I know that's something you've mentioned in the past mm-hmm. as being something to look at when the fantasy trade deadline approaches. We've got a unique situation with a few teams, the Cardinals especially, having a ton of games left compared to the field. So aside from probably targeting Cardinals hitters, 
what else are you targeting based on the schedule for the rest of this season? Yeah, so I haven't told uh, what I will often do uh, this year is so wonky that I'll probably give it a few more days, but uh, you can map if you're if you need starting pitching, especially you can map out the rest of season starts, you know, for some good starting pitchers and really see some differences, right? Like, you know, let's say you found uh, like this may not be the case, but let's say you found out that the rest of the way for for Jacob deGrom, he had, you know, two Braves, um, a Yankees and a Rays. And then you found out the rest of the way for Max Scherzer, he had two Marlins an Orioles and a Mets or something like that. Right. Like that could be the difference between going out and trying to get Scherzer or going out and trying to get DeGrom. I think in a vacuum, DeGrom and Scherzer are pretty comparable. I would probably slightly prefer DeGrom, uh, if I just, if they each had the remaining, if they could pitch the entire season with the schedules that I just mentioned each respectively, I would rather have Scherzer. So I think going out and trying to plan out just the next three or four weeks. Now this week has, this year has just been so hard for that because you plan out how many teams have been impacted by these stalled series, like, right. Like not just the Marlins and the Cardinals and the Reds a little bit. And now here come the Mets, but also all the teams, the Phillies, the, the Nats, right. The Blue Jays. So it's really hard. And it's really hard to expect that to stop. Like it's been happening pretty much once a week. So that being said, their chances worth taking. So I think mapping out, like, let's say you're interested in a Zach Gallon or, or a Max mm-hmm. Freed or something like that map out, take a few minutes this weekend and just count every five Braves games, every five Diamondbacks games, map out their last, say five or their next, say five starts. If one of them looks a lot more favorable than the other, then, then that's your trade target and go and get that player. That's the ones that I'm looking for. Maybe even more so than the volume plays because the double headers with their seven innings, you're probably three to four plate appearances instead of four to five. And we know that teams, I just watched the whole Blue Jays Phillies doubleheader yesterday. Like, like, like JT Realmuto is obviously not playing both games and even some other like pretty good players may not play both games. So they may be a bit of a wash for that reason. Yeah. It's uh, it's something that, uh, you know, I watched the whole Cubs Cardinals series and that mm-hmm. had two doubleheaders in three days. And you saw a lot of guys playing just one side of both of those doubleheaders. It's something that you have to think of. And the seven inning thing is a very good point too. When you mentioned what you, the, the, the looking ahead at the pitcher schedule, the first group of guys who popped into my mind wasn't the Scherzers and DeGroms. And I know you're just using them as an illustration, but the people who pop into my mind when you think that way are mid-tier starters, people who guys were maybe already comfortable giving up, right? maybe more tradable. And if they do have those positive schedules, then suddenly a guy who we would in a vacuum project as SP 25 looks more like SP 15 or 16 because of the, the matchups that he has looming in front of him. So that's uh, definitely, I think a good way uh, to look at this uh, last year. I want to talk about uh, some closers actually, or some relievers last year. You saw, uh, you wrote in a piece uh, to invest in bad closers, late in the season uh, what changes for you at midseason when it comes to targeting this type of player yeah i just think like the reason you don't invest in bad closers from the beginning of the season or the reason you're, you're reluctant to do that is that you know they'll probably over six months they would probably lose their job they'll probably lose their job in spectacular fashion and drag your ratios at the same time you know so 
and you just, you know, maybe you get 10 saves out of a bad closer and then he has just two horrible weeks and you can't decide if you should use him or not. And you can't decide if you should cut him or not and it hurts your ratios and all these things. And it's just a terrible experience. Well, we're five weeks left now. I'll, Taylor Williams is a great, is a great example. Uh, Cole Sulcer on the Orioles. I'm not, I don't even know if Cole Sulcer is a bad closer. He's been fine so far. <laughs> Taylor Williams has been largely okay so far. Like, can these guys just keep it going for a month? Like, maybe how many save chances is Cole are Cole Salser and Taylor Williams going to get in the next month you know half a dozen could they convert five out of the six or something like that yeah probably so like it's just worth it I would not that would be the one thing on the trade market I would not aim for right now like I I love Liam Hendricks uh I just wouldn't pay the I don't think I'd have my my team would have to be just rocking and rolling for me to have enough hitting depth or starting pitching depth to pay the price for Liam Hendricks when like, okay, Liam Hendricks should get more save chances than Cole Salter the rest of the way, but we, we know he may not, like he, he may get the same amount. He may convert the same amount or he may get one or two more. It's just not worth the difference over six months. Oh yeah. I would way rather have Hendricks and I'd pay the price right now. Like, I don't know if you agree with that guys, but I just think that's the one. And if I had a Hendricks, I may, and I needed to make a move somewhere else. I needed some steals. Maybe I trade Hendricks for a base stealer and I'll take your Cole Salser and maybe I don't even lose much in my bullpen. Yeah, I think that's embracing the variance. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of alluded to this a little earlier, like just saying, hey, this is a weird season. There's only a little bit of time left. And for these next few weeks, two guys who shouldn't be equal talents could actually give you similar results. Heck, you could get better results from the lesser player. All it takes is a couple blowups from a player like Liam Hendricks and the rest of his season doesn't look right. That's all it takes. Uh, non-closer relievers have been very valuable so far. Freddie Peralta uh, among them. I think James Karinchak has more strikeouts than Kyle Hendricks, which is pretty remarkable. And you look at the difference in innings between those two guys. So as you think about the multi-inning guys, the setup guys who aren't getting saves, uh, who are you buying from that group right now? I think Josh Stomont probably fits into that group. Joaquin mm-hmm. Soria has been really good. Uh, Tanner Rainey. I mean, there's a good mix of guys. Some are free agents in a lot of leagues, and others are at least acquirable via trade are you still targeting the the non-closer relievers in the back half of the season yeah absolutely uh chad green's another one uh who's who's been good um yeah i think those guys are are just they're just must owns right now with the the poor starting pitching uh whether you really want them the rest of the way again probably depends with where you are in the standings like they're not going to make a move that's the only thing like like I like, I like Joaquin Soria. I like Karinchak. I like Chad Green. Having like three of them in your lineup is going to make it hard to climb the standings. Like they can hold, they'll help you for sure with your ratios. But like, if you're going to get zeros from them in a week in wins and zeros and saves, like, like, like how many more wins? Karinchak has no wins. He might get one the rest of the way. I mean, you're, so that's the hard part is like, like in a vacuum, I'd probably rather own Karinchak than Brad Keller, for example. But like Brad Keller does have the possibility of getting me say like four more wins and pitching a larger amount of innings and having really great ratios. I know he probably won't, but if I'm sitting sixth in my league or if my pitching numbers aren't good, I probably need to take the chance on the Kellers. I probably need to grab Marco Gonzalez who's been pitching really surprisingly well this year. I probably need to grab Marco Gonzalez and just hope that somehow he continues to pitch well and overcomes Seattle being a bad team and gets me a bunch of wins. Uh, if my team's doing well, Hulk, give me a bunch of Chad greens and I'll just like pitch my aces and hold serve with the wit with the ratios, maybe get a vulture save from them, or maybe a closer gets hurt and they get a chance. So 
I think it, you really, again, have to look at the standings. For, but those guys need to be owned. Every, like, they're just, with the lack of starting pitching, uh, they're just, they're all rosterable. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. If you're kind of chasing ratios, you're looking for volume to sort of make up that ground because it's more of a what could go right. And if you're trying to protect ratios, you're looking for the really effective relievers who are going to help you keep that lead and keep those valuable standings points. Uh, Fred, before we go, let our listeners know where they can find your work. For sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Fred Zinke MLB. I try to tweet out, you know, all my podcast appearances like this one and uh, any articles I put out, putting a lot, putting out a lot of articles this season at Yahoo uh, and doing a weekly uh, Rotowire podcast on Tuesdays with Jeff Erickson. That's been really fun. Good people over there at Rotowire. Sure. Yeah, be sure to give Fred a follow at Fred Zinke MLB. Fred, thanks again for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one at 40% off at theathletic.com slash podcast. You can find Beller on Twitter at mbeller. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. And be sure to check out our waiver-centric episode coming up on Sunday. It's going to be jam-packed again with so many interesting players to bid on. For Fred Zinke and Michael Beller, I'm Derek Van Riper. We're back with you on Sunday. Thank you.